1: Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. The uh <laughs> the quarantine continues, but so does this little show we call Ridiculous History. Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm No. Ben, how's your core? Oh man, my uh my my core at the core. Yes, my core at the core is pretty great right now. Uh I'm I'm having I'm having a cool time. I'm actually maybe taking an off-the-grid road trip next week. Um So I'll update on that. How about you? Is that
0: core approved? Are you doing it within your pod? Is that, is that just like you're kind of moving your core pod mobile, and then you're still going to social distance from within your, your, your mobile pod. Sorry. I'm using all these terms.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I'll make it out of the car. Actually. uh, I just love road trips. You you guys know uh, you and super producer Casey Pegram. Uh, know that I have that U.S. map with concentric circles uh, around how long it takes to drive somewhere and back. So this sounds weird, but I I might just drive to the ocean and then turn around. Just admire the view from in the car. Just
0: as soon as you hit the ocean. Don't keep going. No, no, no. Don't look. Okay. Yeah. That was was a tough lesson
1: to learn. Uh, So what about you? What about you?
0: uh it's good i just as i may have mentioned on the show before um i just moved and i i just got my first couch in the mail which like it comes in two boxes so when i get done with this i get to put together a couch and super producer paul deckant uh mission control on our previous uh recording session for stuff that i want you to know told me i likely will only have to screw on the legs uh (laughs) so i'm looking forward to a simple uh, uh, uh uh furniture assembly followed by lounging on my new couch which will make my home complete the life of Riley, a phrase I don't
1: mm-hmm. know the etymology of,
0: <laughs> but... We should do an episode about it. We, we put should put it on uh, etymology for the people. What's well, the a different... We have idiomatic for the mm-hmm. people. We should do an offshoot called etymology for the people. But we're <laughs> not here to talk about etymology or idioms. We're mm-hmm. here to talk about
1: badass women. That's right. That's right, Noel. We are going to explore the life of one of the coolest, most badass people that you and I have learned about recently... Her name is Kate Warren. She uh, is a female Pinkerton detective. When our story takes place today, however, Noel Casey, ridiculous historians, we are not delving into this story alone. Uh, we have some help. Uh, we have someone classing up our show today. We have with us one of our good friends and peer podcasters, Joe Piazza, best-selling author, award-winning journalist, the host of Committed, as well as the host of Fierce, a podcast that is all about amazing, badass women throughout history. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
3: Thank you for having me, but I've got to say, I guess I have to leave now because I I thought I was coming for an episode on idioms and etymology. So
0: Oh, next time. No, no, we, we, these are ongoing series. Uh, you are always, this is, a, we have an open door policy, kind of like comedy bang bang. Uh, so you are <laughs> always welcome to join us to talk about idioms and etymology. And that's not to say that those things won't come up in today's conversation, but yeah, I said badass women, not badass woman. We'll get to the woman of today's episode, but tell us a little bit about Fierce. This is an eight part series that you're doing in connection with the Tribeca Film Festival, and I've been hearing about it uh, for a while now, and it's so exciting to see it coming out in the world.
3: Yeah, it's great. We finally just released the eighth episode, and like you said, it is in conjunction with the Tribeca Film Festival. It's actually the Tribeca Film Festival's first big produced narrative podcast, and. We spent more than a year doing eight episodes about badass women that history has forgotten. Women that have not made it into your history books, probably because a lot of men wrote a lot of history. And they're all just, they're, they're really incredible. Each one, working with Tribeca, you know, it, they made it a mini documentary. So each one feels so rich and such such incredible storytelling has gone into it that we just, we love all of these episodes so much.
1: And uh we want to we, w- we want to take a, uh, a page from your book, Joe, and uh, we've asked you on the show today with us to help us explore the life of Kate Warren. Now, in our earlier conversations off air, as we were gearing up toward today's episode, we we're kicking around a couple of ideas of, of of a person that we wanted to learn more about. And you already knew, I think we were talking, uh, one of the first things you said is we, we were saying,
3: so have you have you heard of Kate Warren? You were like, yes, yes, I have, yes, <laughs> because and there is also I mean we had such good phone conversations when we were gearing up for this episode because there's just no sh- there's no shortage of great women that history has forgotten. But yeah, I, I'm I've been so obsessed with Kate Warren. I think that her story can and should be a television series, a movie. I mean, it is just. It, it is ready-made for the screen. And so maybe, you know, from our lips to uh, Hollywood's ears, someone will finally give her her cinematic due.
0: I really hope so. And you're right. It does have all of the kind of twists and turns of a really great uh, a film. But it starts in, uh, well, it, well, actually it starts, you know, when Kate Warren was born. But really the story begins in 1856 when um, she walks into the detective office uh, of Alan Pinkerton. At the time it was just kind of like a one, off like we know the Pinkerton detective agency became a thing worthy of episodes and episodes unto itself and with some really problematic history that we'll get into a little later uh, as it kind of evolved but uh, he immediately assumes kind of a grizzled old dude he was a Scottish immigrant who uh, founded this detective agency after being a a policeman um, in Chicago and he sees this plucky young attractive uh, female walk into his office and immediately assumes she's there to apply for secretarial work and he's like, sorry, honey, we got no openings in that department. She's like, uh, excuse me, I'm actually here to become a detective.
3: It's so funny, too. In every account that we have, and we don't have that many accounts about Kate Warren, but in every account we do have, most of them written by Pinkerton or by Pinkerton's other, other PIs, they always make sure to note how pretty she is. So sure. I just I just want to take note of that. When we when we go through her descriptions, it's it's always she was attractive. She was a comely young woman. Right. And I I'm, I'm I'm curious what would have happened if like kind of a, you know, homely, boring-looking girl walks into that office and is like, "I want to be one of your detectives." Would they've been like, eh? Not pretty enough.
0: That's so funny that you say that, Ben. I, I want to throw this to you. Remember we did an episode on another badass woman, uh, Marm Mandelbaum, who was like this uh, crime boss in New York City, and she was an immigrant herself. And uh, on the flip side of that, all the accounts about her remarked on how ugly she
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's an interesting case because in, in Marm's case too, uh, this is a little bit of me uh, just Freestyle interpreting what those guys were writing. In Marm's case, uh, I read a lot of what they were writing as um, maybe fear disguised as mockery. Because oh, I'm pretty 100%. sure she could. I'm pretty sure she could take all of them in a fight. But there's the thing here. There's this constant thread, which unfortunately continues in society today, of underestimating. Women and having this weird dichotomy that um, a lot of, frankly, a lot of dudes practice where they thought, okay, this individual can not be both attractive and intelligent. They can only choose one. And, uh, you know, and why aren't you married, Kate Warren? Uh, Well, I'm a widow, she said, which we'll explore, I think, a little bit further. Um, I want to go back to one point you made, Joe, which is uh, fascinating to me. There is enduring mystery of Kate Warren. So Hollywood, if you're listening, this might give you some latitude in your adaptation. Use mm-hmm. it wisely. Uh, like we know, you know, Nola, you said the story, I guess, officially starts when she was born, but we only really know the year that she was born in 1833. And even now, before she started working with Pinkerton, we don't know. We still don't know very much about her. We know she was very young when she came to this office. She was only, I believe, 23 years old, and she had to kind of prove herself in, in, in a number of ways. She had to, she had to um, go above and beyond what a starting PI would normally do just to get the respect that was probably accorded to dude PIs from like day one. But first and
0: foremost, her selling point was, I can do things that dude PIs can't do. I can get places that they can't get and make deals and negotiate and find out secrets that uh, men just couldn't find out.
3: And that's totally fair. I mean, she and that's what she said to Pinkerton when she walked into his office. She's like, your male PIs can't just walk up to a woman and convince a woman to divulge her, quote unquote, womanly secrets. It actually brings back, I, I talked to a lot of women police officers. I've been working on another project about lady cops. And lady cops will tell you, and even in this day and age... That they can walk into a situation and immediately diffuse it just by the fact that they have feminine energy as opposed to male energy, which is, you know, just budding heads and testosterone in a room. A woman can happens to be able to calm someone down and can bring out things in people that men can't. And so Kate, Kate, she was so smart. She was not just smart as a PI, but she had such people skills because she knew what she had to tell Pinkerton to get that job. And she knew she had to tell him, I have a unique skill that you do not have, and you can only have it if you hire me and bring me on as an equal to some of these men.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Like a hundred, a hundred percent here. I I would say that her interpersonal brilliance, even as we'll see, it extends to a bit of social engineering. Uh, we'll give you the uh, the broad set of circumstances here in the narrative. And then we'll dive in uh, because Kate Warren is not just famous for being uh, the first female private detective in America. She's famous uh, or perhaps best known today for one case in particular uh, involving none other than Abraham Lincoln. Yes, that Abraham Lincoln, the president. On the off chance you we were thinking about some other guy named Abraham Lincoln. I'm sure he's out there, but the one we're talking about was president of the United States. She helped prevent an assassination against him. Uh, this this takes place with a lot of twists and turns. Um, but I think maybe we work toward there by... I don't know. Should we start with what little we do know about her early life?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly the right way to handle this. We don't want to spoil any of our big... uh Hollywood moments here since we we're trying to set this up. Hollywood, we want you to be listening so that you you buy this property or whatever. Do you have to buy it? It's public domain. They could probably do with it whatever they want. But it's true. They do have some leeway because we don't know a whole heck of a lot about her early uh, life. What we do know is that she was born in Aaron, New York in 1830 or 1833, depending Somewhere. on who you ask. It's a pretty widespread there. Uh, and she came from like a, I don't know, let's call it a lower to middle class family. Again, we're We're working in kind of ranges here. Um, She was not uh, educated to the fullest extent. Um, She wanted to become an actress, which actually kind of makes sense considering that later she uh, became kind of known for these disguises and from being able to kind of ingratiate yourself. And as we know from cop movies, working undercover, it's a lot of acting chops that go into that to kind of you know maintain that character so that that all checks out um but they didn't really support it uh so she gave up on pursuing acting um and she always described herself as a widow and joe you had a really interesting point about this uh, there's some reports that her husband died in a car accident but i kind of like your theory better
3: yeah, well, we don't know anything about her husband. She just she pronounced herself a widow, describes herself as a widow. There's no records of it, and I think that at the time, as a twenty, twenty three, or twenty six year old woman, and, you know, it could be any of those. Uh, it was a lot more respectable to be a widow, to have had a husband, than just to be a woman who. Didn't want to be in a marriage. Who didn't want to be married? Who wanted to be free to live her life the way she wanted to live it? So by saying that you had a husband who was out of the picture, I think it gave her a lot more freedom of movement around the world.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's such a brilliant point. I mean, both the the point about uh, acting, and then also the point about you know, Joe. When when we think about it, it's kind of like she's always undercover at that point, you know. She's got this cover story, this uh, deceased husband, as, as you said, Noel, it, it does seem that her, her story begins, right. Or enters its, its big ticket act when she goes into the Pinkerton national detective agency there in Chicago and says, I want to be a detective. Like you said, Joe, she, she lays it out. She says, I can do things. Your other detectives can't, um, You'd be lucky to have me, basically. (laughs) And luckily, Alan Pinkerton was smart enough to agree. But maybe we can talk a little bit. Again, you know, you could do an entire series on Pinkerton, um, but maybe we could talk a little bit about what Pinkerton is. I think a lot of um, fans of film and fiction have run into mentions of Pinkerton, and sometimes they're surprised to learn It was a real thing. As you said, Noel, in the 1850s, Alan Pinkerton, a Scottish immigrant, opened this detective agency, and the reputation of this spread pretty quickly because everybody began to understand that Pinkerton, for one reason or another, could get some things done uh, that law enforcement could not, right?
0: Yeah, and whether, you know... You know, I mean, and, and honestly, it's, it's kind of a by any means necessary situation, especially when we start to see their later evolution into like strike breaking and much more politically motivated uh, nastiness. Um, and that's not what today's episode is about. This is about and that also, to be fair, was the post Alan Pinkerton period where his sons kind of dismantled a lot of the early, uh, more reputable services that they provided and became much more this kind of like goon squad for like big business, uh, but that's an episode unto itself. So, uh, first of all, i just got to point out Pinkerton by far the superior Weezer album. Um, Fight me! It's fine. It's way better than the Blue album. A hundred percent. I will. I will die on this hill. What do you think, Super Producer Casey Pegram? Pinkerton or Blue album?
2: No, nah, definitely Pinkerton. Although I'm not like a huge Weezer fan, but um, of those two, I would go Pinkerton. Yeah,
0: got it. Casey on the case.
1: I can't believe you're not gonna ask Joe or me. I gotta ask everybody. This. Casey is our cultural
0: liaison, okay? I gotta he's gotta have some things that are just for him.
3: I feel like I are, I already chimed in. No, I'm I'm fully Team Pinkerton. Oh, you're Team Pinkerton, okay. Team Pinkerton all the way. Back. Yeah. There we go. 100 percent I think we're all Team
1: Pinkerton because we're decent human beings. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah, we're good <laughs> okay. people.
3: Okay. That's I, fair. Oh,
1: and Rivers is listening. He's gonna be so mad. He loves the blue album. Rivers only listens to his demos. <laughs> he
0: doesn't listen to anything else. That's <laughs> but, an odd guy.
3: For a while, Rivers was following me on Twitter, which was probably an accident. But um, um but maybe we maybe we can get this Pinkerton love to him somehow.
0: Can we get uh, we need to get th- make a make a another pinkerton rivers mm-hmm. like he's like he's so tired of hearing that look guys i'm an artist i follow my my bliss that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do okay whether it's pork and beans or island in the sun island in the sun's a fine song we're not here to talk about rivers Cuomo, though <laughs> we're here to talk about the original pinkerton
2: snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring
1: See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever, (laughs) Ben. Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty
1: good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best state rooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities.
0: Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences,
1: fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com.
0: I first heard of Pinkerton as a detective agency in the show Deadwood. And by that time, they're already kind of the bad guys because they're working for Hearst, who is like this terrible oil magnate kind of conglomo, you know, villain. And they're, you know, trying to rob people of their claims to oil and and gold, rather, not oil and all of that stuff. But before that, they really were just good old fashioned detectives. They would solve cases, things like crimes that that people had stolen money. They would figure out who, you know, where they had put it. And uh, they would use subterfuge and like, you know, often deception. But they would get the job done in ways that regular law enforcement, to your point, Ben, just couldn't quite do. Um, And it just really spread like wildfire. They were so good at gathering intelligence they actually became sort of the uh, template for like the secret service and a lot of really
1: high level law enforcement like the FBI. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm going to try not to continually be pointing out what I think are very clearly awesome moments that should go in the film or the series. You know, if we adapt it for streaming Uh, to this point, yeah, to this point that you made, Joe, there's this amazing moment. This is one of the things that we do know for sure about Kate Warren When she goes into the Pinkerton office, uh, the guy does assume that she's there for secretarial work. And she so quickly corrects him and says, you have placed an ad looking for new hires. I came to be hired as a private detective. uh, And then, you know, as you mentioned before, Joe, she's saying I can do so many things that you can't do. Uh, I think she also pointed out that uh, she can take advantage of the fact that a lot of men Tend to try to brag around her so she can kind of
3: tease out secrets that they'd otherwise shut down about. I love it. I mean, she walked in and she used the fact that Pinkerton underestimated her from the second she walked in the door, right? She's like, You just thought I was a secretary. You underestimated me the second you looked at my pretty face. And used that and said, Everyone's going to underestimate me. Every man that I talk to is going to underestimate me. And so, of course, they're going to divulge their secrets. Of course, I'm going to be able to infiltrate their networks because. People ignore women. People underestimate women. And that's when a detective can can get the good stuff.
0: It's a really good pitch, I'll tell you. And, and mm-hmm. he went for it. He bought it. Yep. He's like, okay, yep,
1: sold. Well, reluctantly, because although he was a smart guy, he was still, you know, he, he was still very much an adherent to the misogyny of the time, right? Because he said, okay, all right, okay, Warren. If that is your real name, you got me on that one. Well played, but I'm not wholly convinced. He specifically said it is not the custom to employ women detectives. I'm I'm, that's not his real voice. I just can't do a respectable Scottish accent. So just picture the Scottish accent. But that's what he said. And it actually took her several meetings with this guy before he finally acceded and hired her, he would go on to say that he was one of the best employees he ever worked with.
0: Yeah, I don't know. The lore version of it is more fun to me that he hired her on site. But yeah, I guess it does make sense that she had to kind of convince him a little further but it's true i mean he bragged about her uh to the day he died and then in his book and he even i think wrote her in uh to the thank yous in in his book about his uh, kind of storied career but um yeah let's talk about kind of her early days and how she sort of started getting uh some traction as let's be honest the the country's first female private investigator
3: What's so interesting to me is just how taken with her Pinkerton seems. mean, the way it took him a while for him to come over to Team Kate. Oh, and I also want to say, in terms of her being an actress and having all these covers, isn't Kate Warren just like the perfect stage name? Like, I feel like it might not be her real name. It's a little <laughs> bit too perfect,
0: yeah, and it's also pretty adaptable. I heard she would go by like Kitty Warren or Cat Warner.
3: I'm picturing it in her fake southern accent she later puts on in some of her other in some of her capers, and it's like, "Hello, I'm Catherine Warren." Right? Like she can <laughs> that name can be adapted to anything. But right, Pinkerton really did gush over her. I mean one of, one of the things he said about her was quote She was a brilliant conversationalist, and when so disposed, could be quite vivacious."
0: Ooh. Okay. Oh, what, is vivi- what does he mean in this context? Does that just mean like, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I, my mind is going to like, you know, again, like in, in his original description of her, he referred to her as slender with fiery eyes and a delicacy of movement. Vivacious? Doesn't that just mean like full of spirit kind of? Or well, he,
3: he It's just like, he's always so surprised, right? It's like, oh my God, look, the woman can walk and talk and, she, and she's fun too. Brilliant. It, it's true.
1: Yeah. Vivacious really just means uh very energetic lively or animated um but in this case and i think in the time that this guy's writing uh vivacious as a word is is pretty much used to describe uh women that people think are attractive and it goes back to your point joe about how so many of the people writing who were men are are like okay. She did these amazing things, and also whoo 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 vivacious. Am I right? And now they they look kind of. I think their focus on that is is kind of myopic. Uh, and it makes it makes them. Uh, I don't know. It makes it clear to me. Uh, who the most intelligent Pinkerton agent was,
3: and uh, it was it was probably Kate Warren. Probably uh, Kate yes. Warren. Um, do you guys want to? I kind of want to jump to some of her cases because some of her oh, early yes, cases yes. were really good. And in these early cases, she proved that her skill set was completely unique to the Pinkerton agency at the time, her skill set as a woman, and also her skill set as just a smart freaking human being. Like, you know, she's like, yes, I'm a woman. She's, she was also just clearly incredibly intelligent and cr- incredibly emotionally intelligent because she was able to get these people to open up to her. So, The case that I really like is the one where she made friends with the wife of a suspected murderer to try to get the evidence against him.
1: Yeah, that's so that's so weird and such a brilliant way to approach this, because, you know, you would think that standard operating procedure for the Pinkerton folks would be just to go directly to like the the social network of the suspected murderer. Right. And then come down. Hard as nails, but sometimes the carrot works better than the stick. Exactly. And this strategy of um, becoming someone's friend, the honey over the vinegar, the carrot over the stick, uh, this is something that she employs more than once. Uh, let's maybe we could talk a little bit about the case of uh, the Adams Express Company theft.
0: That's right. This guy named Nathan Maroney was the manager of uh, the company's office in Montgomery, Alabama, and um, he was very highly suspected of having made off with some some serious cash uh, from that office. And so they hired Warren to kind of get to the bottom of it. So she. Put on, you know, uh, a little bit of a disguise uh, and then changed her name to Mrs. Potter and uh, became
3: friends with the guy's uh, with the guy's wife. Of course she made friends with the guy's wife because, of course, the guy's wife knows where the money is. Um, I, lo- and I And I love the and Mrs. Potter, right? It's so
0: innocuous. You know, it's like, oh, well, Mrs. Potter would never, you know, uh, would never betray me. It's Mrs. Potter. I know her. Look at... Oh, anyway.
3: <laughs> Mrs. Potter would never betray anyone except she does. And because... Mrs. Maroney totally knew not only that her husband had taken the cash, of course he took the cash, but she also knew where he had hidden it. And she led the detectives all the way to Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. Nathan Maroney was convicted and nearly all of the money was recovered.
1: That's right. And at this point, even Pinkerton himself had to, you know, give his detective her due You know, real recognizes real here. And he, he wrote later, the victory was complete, but her faculties have been strained to the utmost in accomplishing it. And she felt completely exhausted. She had the proud satisfaction of knowing that to a woman belonged the honors of the day. So if we unpack this, it feels like he's being a little bit more reluctant than he should be in admitting that his detective Kate Warren had done things that other detectives, even in Pinkerton could not this is just like one of her many adventures
0: and look maybe i've watched too much sopranos But there's a part of me that finds these tactics like really cold blooded, (laughs) where you're like, you know, like when Adriana, she she becomes friends with that, uh, that uh, FBI agent who poses as like, you know, like a big haired New Jersey kind of socialite. And that moment when the rug gets pulled out from under her, she's like, you've been lying to me this whole time. I really feel sorry for like the wife of this dude that took all the money because sure, maybe she knew, but I mean, think about the time and it's not like she needed a friend probably the guy was probably a jerk <laughs> I don't know I'm I'm editorializing here but I know it's it's a means to an end and I get that and I respect the the cunning and the tactics but there is part of me that's like oh you made friends with the lonely wife of a bank teller who stole some money and now you're all going to prison
3: oh just stabbed in the gut with that mention of Adriana it still gets me still gets me still feels a little soon brutal yeah
1: Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever, been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben. Our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds
1: pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many
3: I have to say, my like I, the, one of these cases stands out, and look, I'm excited about getting to the time that she saves Abraham Lincoln's life. Everybody loves a good Abraham Lincoln story, so as do I. But this one is so, I, there's so many aspects of this one. So on another case, Warren actually thwarted a plot to poison a wealthy captain. This This part is so brilliant. She poses as a fortune teller, because who do people like to talk to? Who do people like to divulge their secrets to? A fortune teller. So Pinkerton rents out this place where she can ply her fortune telling trade. And she she studied. She studied up. Kate like, was a good student and you know, she studied what she had to do to pretend to be a good fortune teller. And she hosted Captain Sumner's sister, Annie Thayer. Now, Warren already knew a little bit about Annie Thayer because she had already done her research. But the fact that she knew about Annie Thayer meant that she seemed like the best fortune teller of all time. And so Thayer really starts trusting her and you know, develops this connection with her. And then she eventually discloses that she has been told by a lover named Mr. Patmore to assist <laughs> Mr. Pat... <laughs> and now we're yeah. on down nabby. Um, a lover named Mr. Patmore to assist in the murder of Mr. Patmore's wife and her own brother, dun-dun-dun, Yikes. Captain Sumner.
0: This, this reads like a clue... Uh, gameplay yeah. scenario. We've got Mrs. Patmore with the poison in the drawing room and Captain Sumner with the whatever, candlestick. I don't know. But yeah, this is wild. I love this and the intrigue so much. It's like a good drawing room murder mystery. Don't forget Lucille. Oh, where's Lucille in all this? <laughs> the
1: fortune teller.
0: Oh, gotcha. That's Lucille. Her, that's her cover. Oh, she could have done better than that. She well, that's. She that's, should
1: I mean, that's a little... Well, I I mean, I think we can, I I think I can speak for all of us. You know, sometimes you have to be, you have to fake being a fortune teller to get stuff done. It happens,
3: right? Do you think
0: she did the voice?
3: Oh, she definitely did the voice. Of course she did the voice. We all know
0: what the voice is. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. Hopefully, a crystal ball and a classic. You know, fortune teller. Turb- These are all problematic tropes, by the way. I'm just putting that out there. But that is the quintessential kind of uh, fortune teller um, cliche that I guarantee is what she pulled off. Oh, uh, yeah. But it clearly worked because she got her man or woman again in this situation.
3: She did. Show, although I, I have to say, and you guys can edit this if you want, but since, since we brought up Weezer, every time I think about fortune teller, I think of the fortune teller in the movie Mall Rats with three nipples in the dirt mall. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what I think of? I think of the movie Big and the, mm. the arcade machine with the great Zoltar or whatever. That's the great Zoltar,
3: exactly. Again, all problematic tropes, but this was another age, another time. And, like, and like you said, Kate cracked this case wide open. Uh-huh. Pat Moore was convicted of his wife's murder, spent 10 years in prison, and you know, everything was cleared up before poor Captain Sumner could be murdered.
0: Good old Captain Sumner. I hope he went on to live a long and fruitful life on the high seas. I hope
1: he at least, at least uh, wrote to uh, wrote to warn uh, and, and thanked her. Or maybe you know what? We don't know how Daniel Day Lewis or how method she was with this. Maybe he is convinced that Lucille, through uh, her powers of divination, saved his life. And if that's the case, put it in the movie. I, I, I mean, I'm just picturing this like. We need an amazing actor for this, uh, who can play all these different characters. Uh, jury's out for me. I think it's anybody's game, but mm. but it's happened again. Longtime listeners, we have run into another two-part series. We haven't even gotten to Lincoln yet, uh, and, and and I agree, uh, Joe. Honestly, just just from an aesthetic storytelling perspective, I think the fortune teller is a little bit of a stronger story, but. The Abraham Lincoln one is also historically important, so much so that we are going to dedicate part two of our series on the United States first female detective entirely to this assassination attempt and her heroic actions on that day. Spoiler, guys, don't don't search for this before the episode two comes out. You're going to enjoy it. It's got a lot of weird twist. Um, Joe, thank you so much for. For coming on the show today uh, I, you know, through the magic of podcast editing We'll be back in what, Noel, Casey, two days?
0: <laughs> oh, you mean in real time? Oh, well, no, in, in podcast time we'll be back in two days In our time we'll be back in like f- f- one minute <laughs> <Right. laughs> Noel, you're shattering the illusion here Hey, look, you know You have to pretend I, that we're all going to go away We're going to okay, come back two days okay. later
2: And then resume the podcast <laughs> We're going
0: to go about our lives That's right And meet okay Alright, oh, wouldn't that be nice? I got a couch to build, you guys.
1: (laughs) And we have a story to tell. While you're waiting for part two of Kate Warren, the U.S. first female detective, uh, why not check out Fierce? Uh, Joe? where's the best place for people to learn more about Fierce?
3: Well, you can find episodes of Fierce on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. I also post All of the episodes on my own Instagram, which is at Joe Piazza Author.
0: And you have a pretty uh, crackerjack website, too, with links to all your books, of which there are many, um, and your other podcast projects and uh, all the stuff that you got going on. I think you might even have one of those blogs
1: people used to write.
3: Ah, uh, blog, 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 blog. Doesn't blog sound like a fake word if you say blog enough times? It's a time? fun
1: word to say. Oh, oh, this is so useless and unrelated to what we're talking about. I love But that. the phenomenon you're describing is semantic satiation. When you say a word over and over and over uh, and you trick your brain into completely losing whatever that that word is supposed to represent meaning wise so there there it is
3: i came here for etymology and idioms and look i feel good (laughs) now What
1: happens ask and you shall
0: receive uh so once again huge thanks to joe piazza for joining us today big thanks to super producer casey pegram alex williams who composed our theme christopher hasiotis always here in
1: spirit Oh, sorry, I was drinking my iced coffee. I drink so much of this nowadays. Big thanks to Eve's Jeff, Coat, of course. Uh, Thanks to our research associate, uh, the magnetic north of ridiculous history, Gabe Luzier. Did you already say Gabe? I did not say Gabe. Oh, okay, good. Well, we'll keep this part in then. Great. We'll see you next time, folks.